You're listening to Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. This episode, we're joined by Chapel and Robin, and we talk about the words we use to describe ourselves and our work. And the elephant in the room. I think you're supposed to hide it in a group of other elephants. I think that's the answer. Has there been a formal study yet on the effect of this administration on the sale and consumption of alcohol? I feel like I feel like it has to be real. Anecdotally, it's got to be alcohol up, tourists down. Maybe an exact, maybe they exactly make up for each other, but I think probably not true. I'd be interested to see some study on that. Are you guys all drinking? I was told to. I was told it was rosé night. But we don't have rosé here. <laughs> the second you said that, I was like, oh, crap, I didn't pour rosé. I made myself a sidecar, I think. I think that's what this one's called. You're so good at alcohol, Andy. Good job. <laughs> I, yeah. well, the, problem is, the problem is I'm such a lightweight because I drink almost never. So when I do have a sidecar, <laughs> mm. I get... Well, I get drunk. Is what's going to happen? <laughs> so uh, wait, explain this to me. You're telling me alcohol think, makes you drunk. I think it puts alcohol in your blood, and that means your blood can't do blood as good. I think that's basically what it does. <laughs> it makes your blood less blood, and then something happens because of that. It honestly makes your blood better. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> it makes your blood better and cooler, but like less good at getting oxygen to your muscles and brain. I think. I think it's what right. happens. Don't yeah. quote would, me on this. I'm not a scientist. That's, I would say it brings out your blood's true self. <laughs> true blood. You never true knew. Blood. You never knew what blood was really thinking until blood got <laughs> yeah. a little drunk, and then, <laughs> then you found out what its opinion was of all those systems of the body and whatnot. It's when blood turns blue. Exactly. Well, we're here with Robin and Chapel, old pros. You've done this before, so hi, hi. you know we have this great hi. chemistry now. Two episodes in, that means we have good chemistry, right? That's how this works. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good chemistry is just saying you have good chemistry. That's yep. all it is. Say it over and over again. I mean, two episodes and like tens of thousands of tweets, I have to assume, read. For sure. Uh, at least, you know, you two are some of the most active people on Twitter that I still follow. So it's good. <laughs> I, get a lot of, I get a lot of exposure through Twitter, which I feel like helps. It's Everyone knows our lives. Active, active is a nice way of putting it, I would say. So, Chapel, you, somewhat recently, it's been like two months now, have moved from your job in the public sector where you worked when we last spoke to a job in the private sector, correct? That is correct. Congratulations on that, by the way. That's exciting. That's awesome. Hey, thanks, guys. So uh, everything's exactly the same, right? Whether you're working for the government or working for private companies? <laughs> it's, it's totally <laughs> the same. Um, I'm curious to hear your experience. Like, what, what has been your, your transition like? Like, what are the things that are most surprising to you? Or, you know, I'm just curious to see the other side, because I've, I've never worked for, you know, a government of any kind. So I'm interested to see how this changes, how you perceive the changes. Right. So I worked uh, as a... A digital communications manager for the city of New York for a little over three years. Uh, and then I transitioned over to uh, agency life. And it was honestly culture shock for me. Because um, the, the, the three years I spent at the city, that was the first like full time benefits job I had, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned so much about actually having a job and being professional and leading meetings, all that kind of stuff that you really should learn uh, at some point. But switching over to the agency life, honestly, the day I walked in the door, I was just kind of in shock in a good way and a bad way, because I was like excited to 
be in an agency where you have all these amazing creative people and there are like dogs everywhere and people are drinking beer at 5 p.m. and you're kind of allowed to be who you want to be and you can dress how you want to dress and you don't feel Mm -hmm. weird. But at the same time, I was just like, why can't this be our government? Like, why was I just spending three and a half years at a job where this kind of creativity and energy and intelligence isn't fostered or rewarded? And it kind of bummed me out super, super hard because the the struggle to even hire like one amazing, awesome, talented, great designer at the city is so intense. And then to retain that person is even harder. When you're competing with dogs and 5 p.m. beers, it's kind of hard to (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And I mean, at the city, the only amenity we had was a, a like a water filter. So, I mean, you just... Because the water's not clean enough. It's just... <laughs> Even though you work in the city. Oh, no. We work in the city, which is ridiculous because, I mean, shout out, New York City tap water is, is pretty amazing. But I... So that was a real shock for me. And, um, and then kind of finally making it into that world of, of design and designers and design speak and design language. I mean, I have a background in design, but I've not practice professionally as a designer. Uh, I studied graphic design and then I went into uh, communications in the design industry. So I've been around it, but now I'm actually kind of practicing in it with designers. And now I'm kind of like steeping, I'm stewing myself in that world and that language. And it's, it's really blowing my mind. Interesting. What part about it specifically is blowing your mind? Um, you know, it's just like, even though I have been in the design industry and studying it for many, many years, uh, now that I'm actually in it and a part of it, it's like I'm looking from the outside in and you really start to see the, the language we've developed around it and how exclusionary it is. And like, there's just so much assumed knowledge in our industry. So for me to kind of step into an agency world there are words every day. I'm literally writing down words secretly on a notepad and I'm going to Google after every meeting because I don't, I don't know what these things are. You know, I just spent like a week making a PRD, which is apparently I just learned a product requirement document. This is something that a lot of UX people know and are familiar with. I had no idea. Wait, can you, can you give us the context of your agency? Is it big ad agency? Is it product design? What is, what oh, are yeah. the specifics? No, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you it's not, I don't think it's a secret. I work at a digital agency based out of Brooklyn called Huge. Um, there's okay. there's about 500 people in office, um, but then there's a big uh, international group, probably about 1,500 people worldwide. And um, I, I started there as... Uh, that is huge. I, that is huge. I started as a senior content strategist, uh, which is its own buzzy, messed up kind of language that, again, I'm like what is this? Is this real? And it is, it's a real job. And it's kind of been an industry for like seven or eight years now, but uh, it's, no one knows what it is or what it, what we do, even though what we do is really cool and awesome and I love it. But again, I'm like really kind of awash in all this new design speak that I thought I knew like you think you know, but you don't know. You know. I did not know what PRD yeah. meant when you said that. I had no I idea. I also, yeah. I, I as a guy who I think I work at a digital agency, I didn't know what that meant either. So and we've no. we've made that thing, just not by that name. So it's interesting yeah. that I never heard that term either. 
We, uh, we call it a BRD, a business requirement document, but it's the same thing. I hadn't heard yeah. that one either. <laughs> BRD, PRD, these are all new to me. Andy, we could just come up with our own term and sound super cool and then make other people feel out, left out of it. <laughs> well, I'm of I'm such a mixed mind about this stuff, right? Because, you know, we have a very small operation. So there's like eight of us in our office and we do, I'm assuming, similar type projects to what Huge takes on, but of much, 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 much smaller scale. And it's nice, actually, because, you know, because we don't know these terms, we don't ever say them to our clients. And our clients don't know these terms either, because they're mostly just people or small companies looking for some kind of website or app that does something. Uh, so actually, it's kind of nice that we don't have to have that that kind of discourse in our practice, because we just say, we're going to build the website, and it's going to do these things. And this is called the email I just sent you, not a PRD or a BRD or an ABC or whatever. But right. at the same time, I also recognize how much having a shared language in any kind of community, professional or otherwise, helps to facilitate communication within that community and also like real sense of belonging, right? Like if you have a name for what a PRD is, then it's much easier to talk about than like, hey, Matt, do you also write a document where you like tell the people what you're going to build for them and, you know, trying to describe that thing abstractly if you don't have a word for it? So part of me wants to like reject this terminology because it's like, unnecessary in some contexts but i also recognize the value of it which puts me in a weird place sure and you don't want to reject the action right you just want to reject the terms yeah that makes sense it's a weird thing because i think design by its nature for me i'm like yes this should be the most accessible practice ever everything about design should be approachable and understandable even to the um to a person who knows absolutely zero about this industry. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that's not how like design makes money and is cool. Uh, you make yourself cool and worth money by uh, seeming like you're a pretty big deal. And the way you become a pretty big deal is you develop your own language and you don't really explain it and you kind of leave people in the dark. And I think that's kind of a bummer. Designers are so dumb. Do you think that's real? Like, do you think the developing the language that people feel is secretive and they have to pay for is actually what you need to do to run a business? Or do you think it's this myth we've, we've created? Hmm. Cause I, I mean, I, I've thought that too, but I also try to practice the opposite, I think. And maybe I'm just bad at running a business, but like, I think it's okay. Like, I think people appreciate when you just use words to mean what they mean to describe them because Ultimately, you're just talking to other people. You're not trying to scare them away. I don't know. I think sometimes it's about masking insecurities, right? Like, I'll talk to uh, senior designers who, um, or like mid-level designers that are trying to like protect their own. And if they're talking to like a junior designer person, they're like really hesitant to talk in the same language as that person might understand. Because it's almost like they're trying to protect their place and whatever it is that they're doing. So I kind of feel like sometimes that language is designed to be exclusionary, to like protect their power which which leads into the idea that it is like the myth of its importance is like it is indeed a myth it's not really like an actual thing of importance it's building up these walls to make you feel special Mm. that feels that feels true the thing about people that are maybe more junior in the industry being more likely to abuse terminology uh i think it's partially because you know if you're studying something and you learn a new word for something, you're excited to use it, right? Like, yeah, I know what this means. This is a PRD and that means this. And I'm going to walk around and tell people my PRDs and it's going to show that I know what I'm doing and I'm on top of stuff. Um, but I also think it's because, you know, 
as you get more ingrained in that industry and you become a more senior level person or a more experienced person, you realize that you maybe don't have to use that terminology. And so you kind of, you know, skip that and go right to the more human words for the things we're describing. But I've definitely observed that where people that are newer or younger will tend to actually use the terminology more. And then it kind of trails off as you are in the industry for a while. Uh, I think that's maybe not true if you're in like a really, really specialized industry. And I kind of agree with Chapel. like our whole job is to communicate. So if we can only communicate with ourselves, and then as soon as somebody who doesn't have, you know, the same lexicon walks in the room, we are, you know, helpless and can't even talk to them anymore, then I think we're failing at our job in a fundamental way, which is not true of like, you know, if you're a rocket designer or whatever, you're making like rocket engines, like I bet there's a lot of terminology they need. That's very specific that they do have to use in order to communicate with each other in a functional way. But I feel like our work necessarily has to be more close to the people more surface level than that. And therefore, any sort of plunging into some highly specialized language is kind of exclusionary or, you know, it serves the purpose of making us feel good, not necessarily of advancing the craft. Yeah, I, I don't even think people realize when they're doing it anymore is kind of the issue. We don't, I mean, it's, we don't realize how just the words we're saying can be excluding groups. And I mean, there's clearly been many conversations about that and how we can make our language more open and accessible, or at least be more open to the idea that there are other ways of looking at things. Um, but, you know, for example, I was working with some designers who were uh, writing the copy for a website for a, uh, a, a, like a big telecommunications company. And the first screen you would see as a user uh, asked you, this would be as if you were buying um, a new cell phone plan. Mm-hmm. And the first screen would say, uh, you know, greet you and would say, how many lines do you need? <laughs> and so I kind of just looked at the designers and I was like, hey, guys, do people know what lines are? And they're like, well, if you're buying a phone, you probably know. And I'm like, probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not. And this, of course, is uh, uh, extrapolating a bit. This is about an object and not humans, which are, of course, the most important thing. but people don't even realize when they're using coded language and they're just kind of moving along. And I'm like, you know, a lot of people are buying cell phone plans for the first time, especially young people. And who knows, people who aren't speaking English as a first language. Absolutely. uh, To refer to buying, you go online to buy a phone. And the first thing is, how many lines do you need? I would be like, what are lines of what? Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do at that point. I don't want any cocaine. No, no, please. (laughs) Yeah, that, that's really that, that's totally true. I um, I I always have this conversation with. I actually have this conversation a lot with interns we have that are doing design work in the office, where I feel like uh, interns and also to a degree, I found engineers tend to describe things like very exactly when the exact description might not be the description that is actually most understandable. Uh, and the thing I always say is like people tend to get defensive about it and be like, well, you know, if they're buying a phone, surely they know what a line is, and if not, then we can't help them. And I always like to, they always portray describing it some other way as like catering to the lowest common denominator. Like there's something unsophisticated and below us about mm. trying to communicate with the people that don't know what a line is. And the thing I always describe is like, you know, it's like a bell curve, right? Like you have most of the people are like right in the middle and they're going to give your thing the normal amount of attention and they have the normal amount of context and understanding about something. And maybe the normal person knows what line means. 
Then on one extreme, you have people that are like really invested in researching all the cell phone plans imaginable. And of course, they know what line means. And that's the question they probably want to be asked because they want to very quickly figure out how their pricing is going to work out. And they're like deep in this thing. Then you have people that are trailing off on the other side. And this is both people that, like you said, first time phone buyers, people that maybe don't speak English as their first language, people that, uh, you know, are just getting their first their, their first phone line ever and they don't know what that even means and that sort of trails off in that direction and when you design that page and choose that language you're basically just drawing a line on that bell curve and you're saying nowhere below here do we care about right like you're not losing the people on the other side by using more clear and welcoming language encompassing language you're just cutting off people from the bottom end of that bell curve well don't you think it's also like i feel like we frame it as we're we're talking about people who are smart and dumb and i don't think that's it at all no. i think it's even <laughs> just like the amount of time and energy someone is willing to give you, which is totally fair. Like, yeah, of course we're spending all the time and energy because we're being paid. Like potentially it's the thing we're passionate about. Like a number of reasons why we would be spending time and energy. But like, I don't think it's that someone is stupid. It's just like, why should they be so invested? Do help them out a little bit. Like you're trying to sell them, not the other way around. Not that it's always selling, but like, uh, it's it's just it's i think it's more about level of effort someone's willing to put in and you can't always assume the max because like again we're talking about cell phone plans we're not talking about a video game or something <laughs> a video game is your metric for the thing people are willing to spend the most time on well you know what i mean <laughs> like i think somebody's i think i kind of yes if somebody's like willing to spend their entire life in world of warcraft they're very invested in solving puzzles like i always feel like the the balance is like designing a a like product versus designing a game like a game is like yeah you can put a puzzle in it and someone's totally willing to solve it because they're invested versus like designing an app to get something done well maybe they'll give you a, they're an absolute minimal amount of time and like putting a complicated puzzle in the middle middle of it is the exact opposite of what you want to do i think what i'm saying is i envy game designers it seems like a lot of fun yeah it stuff. sounds like you want to be a game designer <laughs> hey maybe i do definitely get jealous of them for having an audience that has opted in to participating in whatever the thing they're designing is as opposed to my audience which always seems to be some uh group of people that don't really want to do this thing but are forced to do it for some reason and therefore <laughs> i need to design a thing for them to do that task which is yeah but their stories are a lot harder it's true and i also feel like i would like designing something like games in theory but then in practice i would probably like lay awake at night and think like i'm designing a game that's my contribution to the earth not that what I'm doing now is any sure. more meaningful, but I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah, I go through that a lot. We're, we're having a similar or a related kind of conversation in the office right now. We're actually in the midst of just updating our website, which has been uh, very simple for a long time. Uh, we, we don't really get work through our website, which this is like a chicken and egg situation. I don't know if we don't get work through the website because we never spend any time on it or <laughs> if uh, we are never going to get work through the website. Therefore, we didn't spend any time on it. But our website right now basically just has like, here's the people, we'll make anything for you. Here's the button to you know, shoot us an email. And we're working on changing the way we talk about ourselves. And we're coming up against all of these same issues that Chapel's describing, right? Where we have industry-specific language for certain types of e-commerce sites, for the technologies we're using to back these products we're building, for the theoretical practice of like, what is product design? That's what we, you know, kind of call what we do. And people know what that means. So they think it means designing a coat hanger instead of designing a website. And uh, mm -hmm. the thing that I've realized is that I think we've spent a lot of time thinking that if we describe ourselves as abstractly as possible, right? Like, well, we, which is true, like we, we offer a variety of services to all different clients of different sizes and, you know, we'll build pretty much anything we can. Like, that's kind of what we do. So it's not really accurate to say like, oh, we do this exact one specific thing. But I've had this realization that I think if we don't say on the website 
anything specific. We just say very vaguely, you know, we build websites and apps of all different kinds for all different companies, like contact us if you want to talk about it. I think that that means that nobody that looks at that website is confident that we can do the thing that they maybe need to have done. And if we instead So you're just describe, saying you need to be like vague as hell? Well, I'm saying that's what like, we are right now, but I think if we yeah, actually I mean, just... Go ahead. I was going to say, we build websites um, isn't really... In, like, if I'm going to your site and I'm about to hire you, it's because I have a problem. So if I go to your site, I'm like, oh, damn, I have this problem. So let's go to the site. And somebody's like, we build websites. And I'm like, that's not my problem. Exactly. Or like, whatever it is. Like, I, you know, so it, like, you're not hooking them. Yeah, well, I think it's, it comes down to the fact that I think if we actually describe, like, well, we do a lot of things. We can do anything. But these are, like, the three things we've done most often, all right? These are the things that we have a lot of experience sure. at. If we describe those three things, it's not that we'll alienate everybody that doesn't have a problem that fits those three things. It's that we'll actually convince the people that have those three problems to actually contact us. And everybody else is the same place they were initially, which is not confident that this company can provide the thing they provided until they email them and ask. So we're going through all the same questions of like, you know, what kind of language do we use to talk about it? Do we use the accurate language? Do we use language that makes sense to people, even though we know that Maybe a technical person would look at it and go, it's not quite exactly true, but it makes more sense to the average person. Uh, do we, how do we like handle titles, which is something we've always really kind of pushed away because we're a small company, so a lot of people do a lot of different things. We don't have like discrete project managers. We don't have discrete, uh, I mean, even me, like I, I do design work, I do project management work, I do front-end development, I do all kinds of stuff. If you were to write out my like title and write all those things out, it just seems ridiculous. But at the same time, if we don't have that listed on the site, then people are kind of curious as to who's doing what. And I don't know. It's a lot of questions about... I, I, I guess what I'm saying is as we get... As our company grows and matures, and again, we are still very small, eight people, uh, I start to get more and more sympathetic to the kinds of things that Chapel was responding to at Huge, where it's like, oh, now we have this huge infrastructure and all of these shorthands and lingo and uh, acronyms to describe things because as you get bigger, I start to understand why those distinctions, which seem maybe not important from the outside or not important uh, from anyone's sort of perspective, actually are important to kind of like help divide and separate this big organism that is a company and actually like clearly delineate who's supposed to do what and why and how. Um, Or when you're small, you kind of have the luxury of not having to do that. But I see both sides, I guess, is what it comes down to. I think, yeah, there is part of that of divide of having a really small company and a large company. Your language changes. It goes from just kind of yelling across the desk, hey, did you read that thing I sent you, to, hey, would you expedite the response to my email about the KPI? And that, you know, like it turns into this whole thing, uh, this whole other language. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think... My only fear, aside from like excluding people and not just like clients, but excluding people from actually uh, just feeling like what we do is approachable for them. Uh, you know, I also worry that we're like feeding into this weird kind of uh, scholastic institution m- money ball situation where like, we're just starting new programs to feed these weird titles and these mm. kind of vague um, disciplines that, you know, and I say this, and this is funny because I say this as someone who got like a degree in a very vague design discipline, but I also see how that, again, it is creating this weird um, insular culture 
And I'm like, when I see a new job title that I've never seen before, I'm like, is this like some weird response to like a program that started out at like Cal Arts underground that I don't know about and that charges (laughs) students $80,000 or whatever? I don't know. There's something like weird. And that's like my, you know, weird capitalist, you know, school rant or something. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like there's like a couple different things um, between the language that are kind of interesting, right? So there's that first one, which is like the language that you use on the site and how that's translated to customers. There's a second of like the language you use on your site, how that's translated to businesses that want to potentially hire you. But I think like when it gets down to that title thing, like <clears throat> I just, uh, I'm mentoring the student designer right now. And, um, what's interesting is like, they were showing me that they're, you know, their work and their process yesterday. And they were really worried about titles. They were really worried about like saying like, you know, I don't know whether I should tell hiring managers that I'm a UI designer or a UX designer or like a visual designer versus like, I, like she didn't know what to call herself. And I just kind of had to be like, it doesn't matter but it does like the entire time like, I could feel the panic from her just uh, like it was almost like there was like this huge bubble and she was trying to figure out how to like get herself inside the bubble but she wanted to figure out what she was supposed to call herself before she told people she wanted to get in the bubble and <clears throat> I was just like it matters kind of like you can like if a hiring manager is like I really need a UI designer just call yourself a UI designer but like if you do like mm-hmm. you know it, I don't know it, it's this weird thing where I think like it's actually kind of protecting um, designers who are doing the craft from like letting people who like also want to do design or are doing design just like on a very like new level kind of get into whatever the click is. But isn't that also like our desperation to kind of keep up with tech culture as well? Because design like all of a sudden became tech adjacent. And sure. then it's like, there are all these new processes. So we're trying to catch up with their language too. And it, it, kind of puts you in that position where you're like, what's, wait, am I the old thing or am I the new thing or should I be either of these things? The uh, mentoring a student is a perfect encapsulation of that, right? Because that's everything this language is. It's a thing that can make people feel excluded or behind or included and like they belong. And I think you, I think what you said is perfectly true, Robin, which is that use whatever language you think is being used internal to that company, Right. Because right, like use whatever you can to get in the job. Yeah, because really, what but, is the difference between and I don't send your send your tweets to somebody else, but I'm sure, like, <laughs> what is the difference between somebody that is like, oh, I'm a UI versus a UX versus a visual versus an experience? Like, you know, we right. all have similar skill sets, and we take our particular processes, which may or may not be you know informed by whatever we happen to label ourselves as, and apply them to a problem in front of us. Sure, I really honestly feel like how you happen to identify is probably not that relevant to how good you are at a certain job but in that same breath i will that conf- works for a lot of things on how you identify too. yeah I, I will also confess that like if i get a portfolio from somebody and it says like you know so and so visual designer i'm kind of like why'd you choose that like that doesn't make yeah. any sense like <laughs> sure. I, I will be biased against that because i'm like are you just saying you only care about how things look and not any other way about things so at the same time, I recognize. Just to be that, clear, what are they supposed to say, Andy? What are they supposed to say to get a job from you? <laughs> oh, from me, I'm a designer. Uh, just say the word designer. Yeah, I guess just designer. <laughs> you can say something snarky. That's how you really can earn my my affections if you, if you want. <laughs> but I mean, like at the same time, I recognize the problem, but I, I'm also part of it, right? Like I've totally looked at intern portfolios and been like, visual designer, really? You guys are visual designer? I don't really. That that, that word is not part Every of my. Every intern's a visual designer. Yeah, that's not part of my 
my like little bubble that I happen to be in, but some other bubble might look at that and say, oh, sure. that's exactly what we need. So uh, it's really, that's a perfect, I think, encapsulation of the nature of the problem in that this person does not know what to call themselves. And it feels like a secret password, right? You're knocking on the door and like the troll, you know, opens a little slot and says like, what are you? And you're like, uh, my favorite color is yellow and they let you in. Uh, but if you, you know, stumble or say the wrong thing, then you're not included in whatever the sort of latest trend is for what we're calling ourselves these days. Which is, I guess, in some in some ways, that's like a, a, a unique challenge to the title. But isn't that also like just every interview question in the world is just like what, you know, with this weird booby trap where who knows what the answer? But like, what what would you say makes you new unique? Is that any different than what putting your that's title a on your horrible resume? interview question? <laughs> if you if you hire people, do not say that. <laughs> I am running out the door. One of my buddies interviewed for a, a job somewhere, and one of the questions they asked him was. Uh, where would you hide an elephant? And this was supposed to like say a lot about his creative thinking skills if he knew how to hide an elephant at with no notice, which just seems so preposterous to me. In your office, because I'll never be there. <laughs> That's good. I like that, Robin. Stop wasting my time. It sounds like a thing you heard Steve Jobs would have said in an interview, and you're like, oh, that's really smart. We should consider that. Yeah. Yeah, you know a white dude's asking that question, too. Yeah, I'm over. I'm post, I'm post stupid interview questions. Um, <laughs> that, it's, yeah. I used to, I mean, I admit, too, like, we all judge the titles and the resumes we look at. And, and of course, like, if you've ever been in the position to hire or help hire. And, you know, we went through that phase where, like, Every resume you got was they list uh, the person listed themselves as an art director, and I was yeah. like, you, <laughs> "That was a thing." I was like, "Kid, you are twenty years old. You're not yes. an art director." I have had this experience, <laughs> and exactly. you don't you just because you like spray painted some bananas gold and then photographed them in your friend's loft apartment in Bushwick, <laughs> you are not a creative director. So like, or an art director or whatever. Like, come on, kid. Like. I, I And I know, I think partly too, which is weird, is that like, I can't remember the last time I saw someone refer to themselves on paper as a, just a graphic designer. And it's as if that's not cool anymore or cool enough. And so oh, that's sure. how much the industry moves that that is, we're moving away from that. And now to just get a degree in graphic design is so weird. And programs are even renaming themselves. They'll, they'll call it a degree in visual design right. or in, you know whatever they'll come up with all sorts of names just to not call themselves graphic design anymore right it seems like a sustainable plan try and change your name every time the industry decides to change its language that that's gonna be something you can maintain for a while i bet what's what's interesting is how like <clears throat> kind of like how little it matters so like the first year at my company i was hired on as a ux designer and it was like that was like the work that i was doing right <clears throat> this at the beginning of January, I switched teams, and when I switched teams, I became an art director instead of a UX designer. But I only switched teams because I really wanted to work under a particular um, manager who had a art team of art directors. So I'm finding myself now where people are like, "Oh, you switched from UX design to an art director role. What was that like?" And I'm like, <clears throat> "Well, I'm doing the same work. I just wanted to work under a different manager, so I had to give myself a different title to do that work." You mean your um, art director manager isn't like, why do you keep giving me all these UXs, Robin? There's so many UXs you're no, giving good. me. Because I was just giving design the entire time. Like, I think, like, you know, the biggest thing for me, and here's, like, two other trash terms, is, like, the other, like, idea of, like, saying, like, you know, if you work on, like, projects or products, 
like for me flipping from UX design from art to art director meant that I stopped doing individual projects and I started looking at overall product vision. It had nothing to do with like the way that I was approaching the like the way that the output of the work looked like, right? Like I didn't say I was an art director and all of a sudden it was all yellow backgrounds with like high fashion shots of eggs or something like that. Like <laughs> still delivering screens. Um you know, and it's still system design, but it's 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 always interesting to hear people be like, "What a major shift!" And I'm like, "No, I'm doing the same work literally. I just wanted a different manager." Have you guys ever had that moment where you're in a meeting or on a like remote meeting call that's particularly boring, and you almost feel your body like astral project above you, and you're <laughs> just looking at this room full of people, and you're like. What have we done that we've created this world <laughs> in which we need yeah, all oh, yeah. these jobs and all these people to like sell things and make things for the world? Like it it blows my mind and it makes me kind of like intrigued and excited and depressed. Sure. <laughs> it is it definitely is one of those things where uh if you did too many drugs and you had to break it down, you're like Oh God, my job is to make things to convince people to buy things that they don't otherwise want. And then I have to do that exact same thing for everybody. Oh God. Sometimes when I'm in meetings and somebody's like particularly mad at somebody and I'm just kind of a fly on the wall in the conversation, I like picture what they look like on their like birthday or like their wedding day. <laughs> just like kind of like hone in on that image instead of not focusing on whatever mad thing that they're about. Um, That's a much sweeter Yeah, we have very different uh, places our minds go in idle moments, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I am... I just like, I like to... When they're mad, I just like to picture what they're like happy. I'm just like, what do you like? Like, what's... Are you a joyful person when you're at with this? Like, I just kind of want to know. I'm much closer to chapel. I start to like anthropologically wonder about like what we have done to these weird animals that have evolved into these like soft pink creatures that no that's just just culture well it's like Like well here's what i here's what i really come back to and this is getting really high level but here we are you know half a sidecar in i uh (laughs) i I totally feel the thing chapel feels about like you know okay so post-industrial revolution we made everything more efficient right we made it so that jobs that humans used used to take hundreds of humans to do a job and now it takes one robot that can be maintained by two or three humans right and we've you know constantly the invention of computers came along and we again automated tons of work that previously had to be done by you know fleets and fleets of human beings now can be done automatically by computers and all this has happened and nowhere along the line did we collectively as a society like decrease the need for humans to work we just invented all these other jobs to fill in all this space in between and i feel like this is actually just does relate directly to the conversation because i i feel that thing where it's like is this particular job title something that is a result of this machine that has created another niche where we need to fill it with a person to give somebody a job to do all the time and then you have the design programs that pop up the, the educational programs that pop up to fill that niche and like it's this kind of like cyclical thing where no matter what happens we as humans will constantly create a job for us to have to occupy ourselves because we can't possibly handle the idea that we as a society have gotten to a place where we could if we agreed just diversify the wealth and most people wouldn't have to work but we don't accept that and so instead we invent all these jobs to kind of keep people in this like vicious cycle which I, don't know. I agree. We should do we should do a basic income podcast. That's what we should do. Yeah, this is this has turned into a socialism podcast, but 
<laughs> That's well, what... there's an interesting piece in there um, that I think is worth uh, like dissecting, which is this idea that um, previously we had jobs in which um, they were very logistical, right? Like, so, you know, if you wanted to, like, send out an email or make a website, you had to, like, code or, like, figure out how to put things in places. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, like, if a lot of that stuff is, like, really streamlined, like, in theory we should be spending the time that we used to spend doing logistics on building good content because for the most part, robots can't yeah. do that. Why do um, I have a job? Squarespace but, exists. Why do I have a job? <laughs> sure. Right. I mean, that's, uh, yes, it's a worthwhile question and not a worthwhile question, but yeah, kind of a worthwhile question. But like, if you're building a Squarespace site, that you just saved yourself like hundreds of hours. Um, so just write better content, I think is, you know, or tell a better story or something like that. I think that's the core piece of it, right? Yeah. And I'm exaggerating, Ideally. right? Like I know, but I, on the f- we end up just sitting around consuming mediocre content, or just sure. laughing at our own tweets because it's two a.m. and that's what we do. <laughs> I do that. That is such a thing. Me just laying in bed, <laughs> chuckling like somewhat silently <laughs> under my breath at Twitter is such a thing. It's it's also weird because like I feel like yes, there is some avoidance of. Society, Western society, does not celebrate or reward an idle human, right? And that's part of our issue forever. And again, not to take this podcast down a you know socialism philosophy rant, but it's kind of true. I mean, we are. I think it's also natural that we're going to continue to create uh, occupations for ourselves. I don't know what they'll look like in the future if there'll be occupations in the exchange for money. Maybe it'll be in the exchange for some berries. I don't know. We have no idea where we're going in in a hundred years, or if we'll be here. But uh, I'm not sure if we're going to be here in four years. In four years, we're going to be trading bread on the street corners or something. That's where we're headed, I think. Bread lines, come on. It's going to happen. Uh, uh, no, we're we're it's all we're making it all great again. Um, I I got like a a. I tweeted about this recently, which maybe kind of kicked off this conversation, but I got one of those emails from LinkedIn where it's like, you know, we have 15 jobs for you. And I mean, I read it top to bottom as we all do. Um, (laughs) No, I just, I skimmed it and I saw this one job title that really stood out to me and the name of it was Verbal Designer. And so I was like, verbal designer. And I was like, is this like, is this something I don't even know about? Is this like, we need new verbs. We need someone to design them. Do you design verbs? Do you design speech patterns? Or is this like, uh, is this, oh, maybe, maybe it's for Alexa. Maybe we need people to write for Alexa, blah, blah, blah. So I clicked on it and it was a posting for a, some large agency. I don't know who it was. Uh, and I was reading through the description and I was like, okay, this is literally just, you want a copywriter who can write really well for a brand. That's all it is. Yeah. I was going to say you clicked on it and somewhere a uh, email newsletter copywriter got their wings when they got that conversion. (laughs) They just went straight into the sky. And I was looking at that and was like, yeah, that's just someone who can write and speak in the voice of a brand. And then like, I'm like, honestly, do we even, why is that title existing? Why did we need to hippify it more? And like, hippify, you know, nice. hippify, hippify. But why is that, you know, wh- what makes you accredited 
for that job. And like, I know friends who like do improv, you know, for a living, they would probably kill at that job if it were posted differently with a different, a different mindset. Mm-hmm. But employers kind of lock into this design world and they just keep kind of kind of just changing the name and pushing it more and not it's it's not like innovating, not like we need to hashtag innovate or anything, but there's something about that that is so disingenuous and frustrating to me. <laughs> no offense to verbal designers out there, because I mean basically I've been a verbal designer, I just didn't know it. <laughs> I too have been speaking for most of my life and I didn't know I was verbal designing the whole time. The, whole time. There's, a, there's a real cost to that though, which I think is worth mentioning, right? Like there's a certain type of person that will apply for a job to which they may not be confident they are qualified. That's called a dude. And there's another type of person that will apply to a job that will not apply to a job if they don't meet every single box that is listed on the job requirements form. Yeah. And Hi, my name's Robin. Well, I mean, traditionally speaking, right? Like, uh, we've we've seen that women very often will not apply to jobs that they don't feel they are qualified for. Novel concept. Men will apply for jobs they're not qualified for because of, you know, all of the ingrained... Example, the president. (laughs) All of the the ingrained sort of, you know, patriarchal, weird arrogance that comes with that means you'll apply for that job. It's true of any, any underrepresented group is going to be less likely to apply for a job to which they don't meet all the qualifications. So when you just start inventing BS qualifications because it makes you feel cool to say verbal designer instead of copywriter, uh, it, there's a real cost, which is that the industry does get more exclusionary. Uh, it does get less diverse because you have less people applying for jobs because you just made up a thing and put it on your job listing because you thought it was cool. Like it's not, it's not a trivial thing. I think it does actually matter. Right. Yeah. Is that the same thing as asking the elephant question of just like these these like strange barriers that there is no right answer to and you just are hoping you get somebody confident enough they plow through and hey they showed up here and they ended up here great if, which is if just that's what you want over Matt, and over again. if you just want somebody that is confident <laughs> enough to plow into a room without thinking about it then i think that's how you get them i'm pretty sure well that's what i'm and that's what i'm asking yeah. is that the end result is that what happens when you do something like that maybe it is well i think part of that too is like and especially in that interview process like I think a lot of people who hire people understand that, like, they could probably, if somebody's, like, smart, they could be like, oh, well, I could get you there in three months. Um, but the question that they're trying to answer is, do I want to hang out with you? So, like, sometimes that elephant question is, like, their gateway into figuring out if they just want to hang out with them. Yeah. Or they just could be a really bad interviewer, and they don't know what questions to ask, so they just throw something out to, like, make them seem like they're really important, when, when in reality they're just insecure about what they need or what they want, because they don't know. That's how I evaluate all my potential friends. I ask them where they hide an elephant. If they give me a cool answer, I know we're going to be friends. Otherwise, I don't want to hang out with them because you don't know where to hide an elephant. Those are like, for, yeah, I mean, like, depending how you say it, that goes from an interview question to like a weird first date question, right? Uh, and I, I, th- I think, um, I don't know. I mean, I think when I was younger, I probably would have been like, I would have just been like, um, hmm, the entire time. Or I would have said something like kind of ironic or dumb. But now, if, like, if I walked into an interview and somebody was like, where's the elephant? I'd be like, f*** you, tell me your problem. I am here to solve your s***. <laughs> like, they, they pull back a curtain, and there's an elephant in the next <laughs> room. <laughs> yes, right. And they don't yeah. know where to put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. yeah. You clearly didn't read the job description very well. It was very clear about the elephant problem. <laughs> and I'd be like, well, get this elephant out of here. But, like, bending that there's not an elephant in there, and somebody's doing that s***, I'm like, you tell me what your thing is because like 
I like if I'm in the room, it's because there is a problem and I can help. Like if you talk to me about elephants, then you're not serious about whatever problem you're trying to solve. In my humble opinion. <laughs> so humble. So humble. Is this where the phrase the elephant in the room came from? <laughs> it's just me screaming. Yeah. That's, that's the whole elephant in the room. Oh boy. So so what do we what are, what's the actionable thing? Like is this is this use of lingo and use of exclusionary terminology that makes people that are new to the industry feel like they have to conform by using the language and makes people that are outside of the industry feel like they're missing some specialized experience? Is this something that should be combated? Should we be in meetings, you know, stopping people and saying, well, when you say MVP, you mean minimum viable product, and that means this, blah, 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 blah. Should we be explaining those things? Or is this something that we should continue to use, but with a sort of, you know, a grain of salt with a sense of uh, awareness of how it might affect people? Like, wh- what do you feel the, the like practical approach to this stuff is? Like, I-, I recognize the problem. I myself find myself writing emails sometimes where I'm like, well, I honestly don't know how to say this thing except for this term that I know. And I'm going to like have to labor over how to say in not six sentences what an MVP is other than just saying MVP and assuming someone knows what that means. So how do we like what is the practical approach to this? Do you try and avoid these terms in your normal communications with people that may not know them or how, how, what do you actually do? I wish the acceptable answer was this. You're allowed to tease people who use those terms endlessly until they <laughs> stop using them. But I don't know if that works in every scenario. <laughs> I think it, I, I, I don't know, Chapel might answer this differently. For me, um, it's about the hierarchy in the room. Like, if a VP starts, like, busting out acronyms, I'm going to Google the acronym and just start talking to it. Um, because I, like, want to create trust with them, and I want them to know that I know what I'm doing or whatever. But, like, if I'm, like, a person that's, like, a little bit more senior in the room, and I see, like, somebody throwing it out there, I might just cut the cord and be like, you can just tell me what you're trying to tell me. Um, so it, it depends on who I'm trying to appease, depending on like how I'm going to respond in the moment. I, I think, you know, Robin men- mentioned mentorship earlier, uh, or someone she was mentoring or speaking with. And, and I, I agree wholeheartedly with that as a way to kind of combat the exclusionary vibe of this industry. And, you know, it's not like you can help everyone all the time, but there might be one person in your office that you can just kind of make sure they know what's happening and don't assume they know anything. And of course, don't belittle sure. them or anything, but explain things to them very straightforward. Um, because I think uh, the goodness of our industry is really like passed down through um, kind of institutional knowledge, that idea. Um, like when I worked at the city, Working in government, again, has its own language that's incredibly exclusionary. And when I walked in, they don't teach you anything. They don't tell you anything. I had to, apparently, I joined a union and didn't even know I did. Uh, There's like all this kind of crazy language that I didn't understand. And it was only by the goodness of a fellow city employee who literally sat down with me for two hours on, on their free time to just go over everything, to teach me the terminology, where I needed to go, how I needed to handle things. And I was so thankful for that. And so I think that's kind of, it's kind of the same thing in the design industry. If I have juniors under me, I just sit down with them and I go over presentations with them. And I'm like, ask me questions. There's no dumb, dumb question. Just ask me anything. Sure. Yeah. The only time I've ever felt good about asking those questions is like, once I feel like, felt like I got to a level where, uh, Anything I don't know is probably like 
it's probably reasonable that I don't know them. And then it's okay to ask questions. Whereas when I just started, it was like, oh, I can't ask anybody any question because then I'll just look stupid. Uh, mm. But now I feel like my attitude is just, if I don't know about it, it's fine. I'm just going to ask what it means and someone will explain it to me and they won't think I'm stupid, I hope. But uh, I don't know what to do. I, if I had to go back in time and just be younger version of me, I don't know how I would have changed that. And like, would I just adopt the exact same attitude and it's fine? Or would I just have to live through it? And wouldn't it be nice if someone just explained that to me? I mean, you sometimes just have to like, sometimes I have to just be like, what would the cockiest dude do that I know? And I, I <laughs> yeah, that's real. Sometimes you have to think of like, I think of like the cockiest guy I know. And I just say, what would he do? That's literally actually how I got my job when they asked me like my salary requirements. I just said in my head, like, what would, what would that imagine in that guy in my head do that makes sense and, and honestly that's like it's a really you know, useful heuristic for, i've found <laughs> for some people they are the cockiest guys so they don't have to go through uh like transformation mentally okay you but, don't have to subtweet right. us we're sitting right here uh, <laughs> uh, but you know i honestly like but like what i did is i asked a cocky dude what he would charge like when i was like in, interviewing a year and a half ago and somebody was like what's your salary range and I, like, sent it to a dude, and I'm like, uh, I think it's this. And the guy was like, no, 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 it's this. And then I had 15% more. And I was just like, there's no way in hell I'm sending that number back. And he was just like, send it. And I did, and within an hour, they were like, great, thanks. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the real deal. That's who you go to for advice on these matters, sadly. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, fair. But it's also funny how, like, it is, it does feel like there's a bit of a garden wall to a lot of our industry. And, and we are, it is up to us to also help people over that wall when we can. But also, like, once you're over the wall, it's like, oh, it wasn't that bad. It really just takes pretending right. that I have confidence, then getting over the wall, and then all of a sudden I do have it. Um, but, you know, and also just like, I used to just get really angry when I found out what something meant, like a word I didn't understand. Cause I would get mm. angry when I found out how bullshitty it was. Yeah. Like, like right. agile, like that is some hardcore craziness. Cause like, no, I mean, I know there's a whole process and a whole thing and, and I respect that, but the name people make it sound like it's this magic thing when I'm like, Oh, it's just doing work very quickly and iterating on that. Yeah. And people are but like, basically yeah. that means listening to the <laughs> client and responding to the changing requirements yeah, without and just basically, you know, making a document and then building for six months based on that document. Yeah. And there's, so there's, but there's a whole process and I get that and I've been in those and it's really, you know, sometimes fun, sometimes a nightmare, but don't tweet chapel about what agile means. No one's Don't, allowed to do that. No. They're like, Chapel, it's a great process. But um, I'm look, I'm not a UX person. I can talk about it in a negative light, I guess. But I She's a verbal designer, okay? She doesn't understand these X's and I's. I don't know. But it's also, you know, young me would have been so intimidated and was so intimidated by these words and practices. And I thought there's no way I could ever work somewhere like Google or whatever, because these words and these things, that's the gatekeeping that bothers yeah. me at the, at the very core of it. Like when I was like mentoring this person yesterday and they were like, well, I don't know what to tell a hiring manager that I was that I do or whatever like that. And I was just like, that, that is gatekeeping nonsense. Like just whatever they're looking for, 
you know, if they ask for like this weird thing that you've never heard of, maybe Google it for two seconds, but like tell them that you do it. Cause like, it, they're just like, that system is designed for a cocky dude to be like, of course I do that. But like a, a woman who might be like much smarter than that cocky dude at the actual problem will be like, Hmm, I don't know if I want to call myself that. Like, <laughs> that. No, I just, that's why I hate the language. Um, because it's just, it's so exclusionary of actual talent. Um, and that is just not good. Right. It's not good. And then you can use sure. that. The problem is if you're hiring and you use that language to, to judge a new person, you're going right. to be missing out on some amazing things they have to offer. Not only that, but then you get to say in two months, you get to be like, well, no women applied. So how could I have ever possibly hired them? And it's like, well, you wrote a job description right. and asked for a verbal designer and you know, <laughs> UX ninja. And sure. so like, what were you expecting? <laughs> Right. And then they'll think that, like, if you ask them what that means, they'll be like, oh, well, yeah, they'll go back to their boss and be like, I almost hired them, but they just weren't confident about what the job was. Like, no, you just weren't writing about what your actual problem that you needed to be solved was. Um, I, I just think a lot of that stuff is designed to keep people out, um, which is the thing that bothers well, me. Well, it's also, and it translates, too, into, it's not just language, like verbal language. It's also translates into actual physical physical design work and like right the way portfolios are built and projects are made it's like you have to have gone through these programs because you're being hired by people from these programs and that's the language they understand and so that's like whenever right. like the whole we we're going through the whole like you know meta haven yale design school aesthetic of like 2015 where everything was like squiggles and you uh, know, yes. critical design, I critical believe. design <laughs> when we were going through critical design, you know, that was like every portfolio. And I was like, you know, what's crazy is that Yale has just created this or meta Haven and, and you know, the Netherlands have, has created this visual language that Yale has now codified in their system. And they've created a whole generation of designers who have codified it. And then they're going to only judge design based on that visual language and so anything that falls out of that parameter for them it it doesn't look good or it doesn't seem right so you know someone who's maybe from like i don't know does a designer in north africa who doesn't have that visual language is going to fall mm -hmm. outside of their parameter they might not consider hiring them so this is where i'm like right. design is not only dealing with the language that we surround the culture with it's also the visual language you know and something that's interesting about that is that you know our offices are like two blocks from Micah's campuses, which is where I went to school. And I taught some classes there. I know a lot of people that teach there part-time and full-time. And from talking to both interns we've had over the years and to instructors, and I also am fairly close with the chair of the department, this stuff is actually, like, it's not top-down, right? <laughs> like, one year, all of a sudden, people are like, students are doing everything squiggly. And I don't know why, but everything's squiggly now. And I'm not sure what to do about it. <laughs> uh, like, a lot of these things are kind of, like, permeating in the culture. And then... You know, the professors end up being like, well, I didn't learn this, but I guess this is what we're doing now. So I got to figure out how to speak to this and like, you know, kind of catch up on what the like zeitgeist happens to be at this moment. Uh, but it's, it's very real that like those things, you know, kind of breed. And then all of a sudden, that's what everything is, right? I, I go to the commencement show every year at Micah and watching the design work change so dramatically year over year and now i talk to like part-time interns we have and i'm like yeah when i was a design student like nobody did anything that wasn't like super corporate looking right and very clean and like graphic design with a capital g and a capital d and now you go and it's like somebody took 
Times New Roman and made it neon and then like, you know, put it through a random transformation and they wrote in processing and then printed it on a poster and you're like, this is cool. This has changed so much in the six or seven years since I've graduated, but it's totally different. Man, design school sounds horrible. <laughs> I, I never went to design school, so I don't know. Design um, school is a really uh, a very fun time <laughs> if you have the luxury of being able to afford it. It is it is a great <laughs> privilege to be able to like spend four years being like, what is the most important poster? <laughs> that is a fun thing to think about for four years. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know what that's like, but it sounds great. So Ugh. here's how I want to end. If if you all will, will entertain the uh, entertain my idea, I want to briefly go down, and I'll go first, so you all have time some time to think about it. I want to go down the just the terms and the lingo that we find ourselves using, or that we actually prefer, in spite of all of our strong feelings about how this stuff can be kind of exclusionary. Because there are still some terms that I find myself really having to force myself to stop using. Some of them, like I'm not going to say UX, UI, visual design, none of that stuff. But for me, the things that I always end up saying, like. I keep coming back to MVP, minimum viable product, which is the thing that when <laughs> I first read about it, which is right around the time I was graduating when like the Y Combinator startup culture was just becoming like a well-known, well-renowned thing that resonated so strongly with me. And it's like, it's just like agile, right? It, all you're saying is we're going to build the version of it first that makes the least assumptions. And then we're going to use any new information to affect how we build it in the future, right? It's a very obvious thing, but shorthanding that has been very useful for me. And I find myself wanting to say that to many potential clients or people and ending up actually explaining what that is in like two or three sentences. But I have to spend two or three sentences doing it instead of just saying MVP. So I kind of wish I could use that one and trust that people would know what it means. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one I keep coming back to that I always want to say, even though I know it has no meaning to anybody outside of the industry, is design sprint which is basically to say like, (laughs) you don't really know what you want yet. Like you have an idea, but in order for us to like give you a proposal to build that idea, we have to flesh out some of these details and that's going to require us to spend like a week to two weeks doing some preliminary design work to show you that so you can then, you know, look at something and give us feedback because it's so much easier to give feedback on something once you're looking at it. It's so much more difficult to just imagine in your head what it might be and conjure the perfect description of the work you need. Uh, And describing that, is always cumbersome. I wish I could just say design sprint and everyone knew exactly what that meant, but I can't. I have to be like, well, you don't know what you want yet. We can't give you an estimate for this idea given how vague it is. We have to work with you and design this thing for this amount of time. I have to explain the whole thing every single time. Those are the two that like, I want to be able to just say those things, but I know I just can't. And uh, I always have to correct myself whenever I go to just type, we're going to design sprint this for you so that we can make an MVP in two weeks. I just have to spell it all out. It's really unfair when you take the term design sprint. You've been talking this whole time and thinking about things I get to say, and then you say design sprint, and now I'm stuck with nothing. You're a jerk. Bam. Well, actually, so a question on your design sprint thing. So why why don't you just take them in for an hour-long, like, design thinking exercise where you, like, work out post-it notes of, like, what they're, like, looking for. So yours is design thinking, Robin? Whatever you call it, like a design sprint or whatever it is. Like, if they don't know what they're trying to solve, why don't you just, like, put them in a room and, like, ask them a bunch of questions on post-it notes and tell them to write it all down, and then they put all their post-it notes on a whiteboard and kind of pluck away what it is and what it isn't, as opposed to, like, spending two weeks kind of, like, designing something in in the dark and being like, is this what it is? So it's a good question. Uh, The first answer is that a lot of these are people that haven't aren't clients yet. So these are potential clients and we have to propose to do something mm-hmm. they're going to pay us for. Uh, and we that could propose sense. to like have them sit in a room for an hour and have us write some things down. And maybe that would give us enough information for to make an actual proposal right. for a project. But in reality, we oftentimes like someone says, 
I have an idea for a dog walking app that's like Uber. And it's like, okay, well, what does that actually mean? And they're like, I don't know. I just had a brilliant idea for Uber for dog walking. And then we have to kind of work through what that is. Also, I I really do think that uh, a lot of people don't respond well or can't actually express their idea through the post-it notes, wireframes, like, uh, you know, feature feature document, right? Like the, the description of what the product needs to do, that document for a certain group of people is exactly what they need. When you give that document to a group of engineers or to people that are, you know, designers with that kind of background, that means everything it needs to mean. But when you give it to somebody that is outside of those worlds, oftentimes there are things that they may think are givens or like obvious that aren't listed, they don't ever bring up, or they may, uh, you know, just forget to mention a very important thing. We found constantly, if we put an image in front of somebody, they can say like, this is great, but where is X? And we're like, oh, you literally never said anything about X. That's not a thing that just happens. We need to build X. Uh, so we found that that's actually a much easier way for most of our clients to actually respond to things is that, you know, we use the visuals as a means of communication as opposed to designing perfect screens and then, you know, building them pixel for pixel or whatever. Um, so yeah, usually it's a week, depends on the project. But, but yeah, those are the two things that those terms I keep coming back to are like things that they mean so much to me, and I think that meaning is actually genuine, right? I think it's a shorthand for an actually meaningful thing. It's not just a different synonym for a word that I could just say. There's actually some embedded meaning there that makes those terms valuable, but I also recognize that I shouldn't just say them willy-nilly to people. I have to explain what they mean. For sure. Does that, do, do other people have words like that that mean things to them or that they find themselves using in spite of themselves? Well, I know I, know I always say, like, every person is a user, everything we ever make is a product and like every short meeting is a stand-up and i feel when i dm those i'm like oh i'm just talking about people talking about projects talking about meetings don't know why i use these terms but i feel like there's i probably have an endless number of those that i'm just i'm basically almost using synonyms that why am i using synonyms i'm not totally sure because that's what everybody else says enculturation yeah i like i like love it in a weird way and hate myself but i will straight up like, I, I feel like when I get to use all those terms in a sentence, I feel like a 1940s newsman. And so I'm like, <laughs> you know, oh, we're, we're, not, we're not scoped for this in the MVP, see? You know, like, it, it gets like... <laughs> oh, scope is a good one. Scope. High-level yeah. scoping. Um, it's weird because, like, I've only been in this environment for a few months now, and it's already... it's. You know, like they say, if you just drop yourself into a foreign country, you'll know the language in a couple months. It's totally true. And uh, which I say that as like to anyone who is kind of freaked out of starting new jobs or jumping into these cultures, you can pick up the language and just start using it. And all of a sudden, people don't question you when you just use it with authority. But I don't know. I mean, I... I still cringe at words like deliverables and assets and anything that just means here's the work I made for you. And, but I'm also like, I'm kind of like an old person. I refer to like all Apple products as Macintoshes still. And like, I like still talk about nice Macintosh phone, a nice Macintosh phone. Um, Do you use that to get on the Facebook (laughs) to get on the Facebook on? And I use my CD ROM driver, but I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I feel like an outlier, which is weird because even though I've been studying design for like 15 years, but like I still pause and stare into space thinking, oh God, do I say font or typeface? 
Like, <laughs> you know, and, That's a and good it's, one. it's just like a very simple thing. And I still will Google that like every day, you know, it, I don't know why I don't retain any of this stuff, even though I've been in it, but it's just like, it's whatever. We you we'll, probably we'll don't retain it, it cause it doesn't matter. It doesn't guess. matter. I've also tried to get people to, um, instead of brainstorming, I try to just keep, get people to say storming, but <laughs> it hasn't, it hasn't caught on, but I'm hoping so you're, you're saying you want to you want to add more you want to add more lingo to this ever-growing list of lingo but you just want to take credit i just want to lingo the lingo because then we all realize how dumb all of this is fair and then you make it a sweet <laughs> urban dictionary entry which is what we all want oh yeah i mean it depends what the entry is but you know the lingo ouroboros that could be a title for this episode we maybe have that already <laughs> Robin, do you want to get into last word? Do you have any uh, any final thoughts on this topic? I feel like we've all gotten something in, but uh, what, what, what are your last thoughts? For sure. So I think I, I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but like this idea of depending on who you're talking to, depending like depends on the language that you shift to, um, and that that just comes down to the idea of like if I'm talking to somebody and like. I can see that they want a specific thing and like, I think I can provide that thing, but I need to talk about it in their language to get them that like I'll manipulate that moment and just start speaking in their language. And that's fine. Cause I can just like rush off and like figure out what they were saying after the conversation. But like, if I'm not in the position of needing something from that person and I'm like in a position where somebody like wants something from me, then I have like a little bit more control to change how that conversation rolls. So I can figure out like, you know, where I push myself in the conversation to, um, be a little bit like more accessible versus, you know, if I'm talking to somebody who is in a position of power, then I like listen to what they say and then uh, take it in, digest it and then flip it into an actual like accessible language. Um, so it, it depends on the moment, depends on the person, depends on what I need at the moment. Um, so I think just like, you know, your miles may vary. Um, so that and, you know, my, my second point that I always tell people is to um, just listen to not a surf. So that's, that's all I have. Yeah. I, I I will say if you have the privilege to something I've been trying to get better about is just, if I don't know some terminology, either because I think the person I'm talking to is much smarter than me, or because I think the person I'm talking to is BSing me, I will just ask them to explain it. I will not sit there and like Google it and pretend like I'm supposed to know this thing. I'll be like, I'm sorry, can I stop you for a moment? what do you mean when you say free cycles? Can you just explain that? Sure. And the result is sure. either you learn something valuable because this is actually a term with true meaning that needs to be shorthanded in some way because it's got depth and purpose, or you make somebody explain the dumb word that means nothing. And both of those situations are a big win for you because watching somebody explain that, oh, uh, <laughs> cycles just means that you have some time to work on it. And you're like, okay, great. Want to make sure I knew what you're talking about. That's a win. I did shame a coworker the other day for saying free cycles. It really worked. I think I'm not going to have to hear that anymore. Yeah, all you have to do is what ask. Is free yeah, cycles? I, uh, tell, no. tell us what that means. I have no idea. Oh, that's the thing people say. Uh, like, we get contacted all the time. We get an email and be like, hey, we need some Ruby development. Do you have any free cycles coming up? And what that means is, do you have weeks or oh. some other unit of time? Do you have time? any availability? Do you have free time? Yeah. It just means, do you have time to work on this project? And people say cycles instead. And it's like, okay, cool. Right. Don't know what that means. Uh, so if you have the privilege and you're not worried about losing your job or something, ask people what the words mean. That's a fun game I to mean, play. I mean, in most, in most cases, there are very few times that asking what something means will get you in trouble, especially if you're a new person. But, you know, if you just as a thought experiment, if you take a day 
and promise yourself to not assume anything. And when people say something and you don't know what it means, just ask them. You will be shocked at the end of your day how much you learned and recognized that's all stuff I would have just walked by and ignored because, like, I just was going to pretend I knew what it was. Um, yeah. And, and you have, you know, how many times do you mention, like, a movie and your friend is like, oh, and they nod about it. And you're kind of like, yeah, they haven't seen it. <laughs> you know? and it. And it's really interesting because like they have the choice to either say, I've never seen that. What's it about? You have like an every opportunity when someone says something, if you haven't heard of it, to say, hey, what is that? And that's like, for me, the most exciting thing when someone doesn't know a movie I've seen or a word I'm using, I get super excited that I get to tell them about that. So there's also this idea of taking joy in just explaining something. It's really, really lovely. When someone hasn't heard of a band that you love, I mean, that is the best moment to be like, pull up a chair, kid, you know? <laughs> well, that so that moment is like an interesting one too. Like, cause I feel like, I think it was like Leah Reich or something like that was talking about, um, was it Cat Stevens or something like that? Of like this band that like if you're like somebody's like oh do you listen to uh, whatever the band is uh, and then they're like no and then they take like a half hour to talk to you about like that thing or whatever it is. Um, like, don't be that person. <laughs> Just give them the thirty second highlight on why that thing is dope and then like maybe text them a link. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's. I will good. say being really excited to explain why the thing you like is great is exactly what your cocky male friend would do. So. <laughs> We've come full circle. Yes. <laughs> They'd be very excited about explaining that too. Uh, well, it's going to crush me that I can't remember the band that, uh, that was happening with her. I don't know. We made a podcast though. Good job, everybody. <laughs> Hooray. Woo! Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. Thank Love you very you much. Is there anything you want to promote at the end of this episode so that people can go click on it? Mm, no. Robin, anything to promote? Uh, new My Trans Health drops in a couple. Ooh, weeks. very exciting! Cool. So nice. New as in like uh, functional. New, new as in like facelift for the like front end. What are we talking about? Oh, it is a whole brand new life. Uh, we um, basically uh, didn't design the first one to scale very well, so we redesigned it to scale a lot better. And that redesign involved switching platforms um, from like sort of like native React, and we flipped everything over to WordPress. Um, which is really exciting. So uh, we have a functional CMS now. As before, we were just like hard copying, card coding in like providers mm-hmm. and stuff. So we redid that, and that's really exciting. I redid the whole UI, UX, whatever we're calling it nowadays. It looks different, um, and the buttons are in different places. Did you did you carefully consider the verbal design when you were redoing that? <laughs> I very carefully considered the verbal, you know, the the language that I, the words and that's the good. Letters. The verbal design um, is very important. I can't overstate how important that yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was really critical that the letters looked good. Um, so I used a, a, a typeface where. The letters look crisp. <laughs> Very exciting. Well, we'll be on the lookout for that. That's it. What do you, do you have a date for that? Yeah. What is that drop? Is that is that official yet? I wish we had a date. Um, so uh, no, we don't have a date. I mean, we've been telling people like end of April, but it's April twenty seventh now. Um, so we're not going to do April. But my guess is like first or second weekend of May will be good. There you go. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very exciting time. So that's what I'm doing. I am, uh, of all the issues to have, I'm very glad you're having scaling issues. That's, that's a good sign. Uh, 
That's good to hear. This has been Working File. Thanks for listening. Do us a favor. Open up iTunes. Search for Working File. And then go to that review box. And here's what I want you to type. I want you to click on the fifth star. And then type, very good podcast, all about design. And hit enter. Enter.